and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am a professor of Russian and East European studies at the University of Pennsylvania and the author of currently nine books with a 10th book on the way. I actually should be working on my book rather than recording this podcast right now, but I am taking a break from that. And I'm going to read to you today the second half of chapter two of Alexandra Kollontai's 1923 novella, Red Love. Now, it's important to understand that when Kollontai refers to the NEP girl or the NEP men, as I've said before, NEP stands for New Economic Policy. And what she is referring to when she talks about a NEP girl or a NEP man is somebody who is sort of returning to bourgeois values, embracing the profit motive and kind of turning against the ideals of collective ownership that the Russian Revolution was actually fought for. So she's very critical of the new economic policy, as I've said before, and this is the journey that Vasilisa takes on a train on her way to see her lover, Volodya, who is now the manager, who is now a manager, and he's becoming a, a, a nip man uh, uh, himself. So this is the second part of chapter two. Vasilisa was sitting in the coach. It was her second day of travel. Another 24 hours lay ahead of her. This trip was different from her others. She was provided with every comfort, just like a bourgeois woman. Vladimir had sent her money for the trip because everything had to be paid for with money nowadays and had asked that she go in the sleeping car. Besides, he had also sent her a piece of cloth for a suit. A manager's lady had to be well-dressed. Vasilisa had to laugh when a comrade came from Vladimir Ivanovich, the director, and brought her the money and the cloth. He praised the quality like a true salesman. Vasya laughed and teased the comrade, but he seemed offended. He had not been joking. The material really was excellent. Vasya said nothing more. These new comrades, the economists, were beyond her comprehension. For a long time, Vasya had turned the cloth over and over. She was not used to thinking of clothes. But if Volodya wanted it so that his wife would not be too conspicuous, all right, she would have a fashionable suit made, such as everyone was wearing. She went to a friend, the seamstress, Grusha, and told her the story. Make it nice and stylish, Grusha, like the clothes that others wear. Grusha pulled out some fashion magazines that a comrade had brought her from Moscow the previous fall. She had sewn, according to it, all winter to the satisfaction of everyone. That's fine, Grusha. You select something. I don't understand such things. If it's neat and not torn, I'm satisfied. I know nothing about the styles. Moistening her fingertips, Grusha spent some time in turning over the pages of the much-used magazine. At last, she found her choice. There, this will be good for you. You are thin. You need something to make you seem fuller. This is just the thing for you. A little fullness in the sides and pleats in front, and you won't look so flat. I'll fix it so that your man will like you. Then that's settled. They agreed on a price and kissed. Vasilisa went away happy. It was a good thing that there were dressmakers in the world. 
she would never have been able to make a dress herself. Volodya, however, was a connoisseur of women's clothes. Of course, for in America, he had been employed in a fashionable women's wear shop, and now his knowledge was useful to him. The red merchants must know something of women's clothes. They were a form of merchandise. Vasilisa was sitting at the window of her sleeping compartment. She was alone. Her neighbor, a nep girl, very loud, dressed in silks, heavily perfumed, her ears weighed down with rings, had gone into the next compartment, where she was laughing loudly with her cavaliers. She had given Vasilisa the cold shoulder, curling her lips contemptuously. Beg pardon, dear, but you're sitting on my shawl. You'll crease it. Or, won't you go into the corridor, dear, while I get undressed for the night? As if she, the perfumed nep girl, owned the compartment and had let Vasilisa in only out of the kindness of her heart. Vasilisa didn't like the nep girls calling her dear, but she didn't want to start a quarrel. Let her go to the devil. Night was falling. Bluish-gray shadows covered the young fields. Over the distant, purplish-black strip of woods, the sun hung like a red ball of fire. The rooks had risen from the fields and were circling in the air. The wires were rising and falling between the telegraph poles. With the twilight, an unaccountable anxiety and longing crept into Vasilisa's heart. Not sadness, but longing. She had prepared for the journey, settled her affairs, and suddenly everybody had been sorry to see her leave. Perhaps she would never return. The Fedosiev woman had come to her, had embraced her, had wept and begged her pardon. It had been painful. In her innermost heart, Vasilisa was not angry with Fedosieva, but she had no respect for her. Vasilisa's comrades had accompanied her to the station. The children of the community house had brought paper flowers they had made themselves, and Vasilisa realized that she had not given her strength and energy in vain. The seed was sown. Something would grow. When the train began to roll out, the tears rose in her eyes. They were waving their caps. Suddenly, she loved them all so much, and it was hard to leave them. But hardly had the city dropped behind her, hardly had the wooded strips and suburban settlements begun to approach her and then hasten away, as if they were running a race, than Vasilisa forgot her community house, the joys and sorrows of the winter. Swifter than the train, her thoughts rushed far ahead to him for whom she longed. Why was Vasilisa so melancholy now? Whence the longing that crept into her heart? It was as if a cold vice were gripping her heart. What was she longing for? Perhaps it was because with the community house, a piece of her life had dropped into the past, never to return, had disappeared like those narrow fields that shone like amber in the spring sun. She began to cry, softly, imperceptibly. She wiped away her eyes and felt relieved, as if the little cold lump of yearning that had tortured her heart had dissipated together with the tears on the skirt of her new dress. The lights were turned on in the car, the shades pulled down. It suddenly became cozy, and her loneliness disappeared. Vasilisa's heart, not her mind, knew very clearly Two more nights, and then she would see Volodya, would see him embrace him. She felt his burning lips and strong arms. She heard his voice. A sweet languor throbbed through her body. Her eyes were laughing. 
If it hadn't been for the nep girl who was fussing before the mirror, Vasilisa would have sung with joy, loudly, as the birds sing of spring. The nep girl was gone. The door banged. Stupid woman. Closing her eyes, Vasilisa thought of Vladimir, her lover. Dreaming, she read page after page of the story of their love. They had been in love for five years. She could hardly believe it. Five years. She felt as if they had only met yesterday. She settled down more comfortably into the corner of her compartment, drew her feet up, and closed her eyes. The gentle rocking of the car relaxed her entire body. Her thoughts, however, hurried on and on. The voice of memory, what was it like, their first meeting? It had been at an assembly shortly before the October days, a time of restlessness. They were only a handful of Bolsheviki, but how they worked. The Mensheviki were in power and the noisy social revolutionaries. The Bolsheviki were attacked from all sides. People almost used physical violence against them, the German spies and the traitors. Yet the group increased from day to day. They did not know themselves exactly what was to be, but they knew one thing. There must be peace come what may. And the patriots, the traitors, must be thrown out of the Soviets. This was certain, and they fought. Obstinately, ardently, uncompromisingly, full of faith. An unspoken resolve shone in the eyes of all. We will die, but never compromise. No one thought of himself. Did anyone consider the individual then? Remembering this time, Vasilisa saw not herself, but only the group. The social revolutionary and Menshevik papers had printed some items about her. Pure fiction, lies, slander. But let them revile her. It couldn't be otherwise. Anyway, people didn't read the newspapers. They simply believed that justice was on the side of the party, of the Bolsheviki. Have you no pity for your mother? You're disgracing the entire family, getting mixed up with the Bolsheviki. You're selling your country to the enemy, wept the old woman. Unwilling to listen to such reprimands at home, Vasilisa went to live with another girl. She could not sympathize with her mother's tears. Strangers seemed closer to her. Only one goal stood clearly before her, the victory of Bolshevism. She seemed to be urged on by some force. It was impossible to stop. Though this force might hurl her into an abyss, she would go on nonetheless, would struggle. She would fight. The controversy became more acute, the air more sultry. The storm was inevitable. There was news from Petrograd. The resolutions of the Congress, the speeches of Trotsky, the proclamations of the Petrograd Soviets. When they met, the assembly was crowded, the hall was packed, people were standing on the windowsills, sitting on the floor in the aisles. There was hardly room to breathe. What sort of meeting was it? Vasilisa had forgotten. For the first time, a Bolshevik was elected chairman, and the committee, too, consisted of Bolsheviki and left-wing social revolutionaries. Among them was an anarchist, an independent, known in the city as the American, Vladimir. It was the first time she saw him, but she had heard much of him. Some were delighted with him and said, he's a real man. He knows how to make people listen to him. Others found fault in him, a braggart. But he had the union bakers and the commercial clerks behind him. 
he had to be reckoned with. The Bolsheviki were glad when he scored against the Mensheviki and were angry when he said something against him. What in the world did he want? The party secretary couldn't endure him. He's crazy. We're better off without such friends. But Stefan Alexievich, the most esteemed Bolshevik of the city, laughed into his gray beard as he said, Wait a bit. Be patient. He will yet become a splendid Bolshevik. He's anxious to fight. Just wait until he's lost his American spleen. So Vasilisa had heard of him, but she paid no attention to him. So many people would pop up without anyone's knowing the least thing about them. It didn't pay to bother with them. She came late to the meeting, all out of breath. She had been speaking at the brickyard. There were meetings everywhere. It had to be so in those days. She was an orator then. People liked to listen to her. Her speaking won general commendation because she was a woman, a working girl. Vasilisa spoke objectively, was neither wasteful nor sparing with her words. She had mastered this manner of speaking, terse but lucid. She could hardly meet all the demands made on her. When she came to the meeting, she went directly to the platform. It had been announced that she would speak. Comrade Yurochkin, he was dead now, killed at the front, pulled her sleeve. We've won. The Bolsheviki won out in the election of the chairman. Two left-wing revolutionaries and the American besides. He's almost a Bolshevik now. He's going to speak in a minute. Vasilisa glanced at the American, and something about him surprised her. So that is how an anarchist looks. She would have thought him a gentleman. He wore a stiff collar and tie, and his hair was parted. A handsome fellow. Long eyelashes. His turn was just coming. He stepped forward, cleared his throat, and held his hand before his mouth. Like a gentleman, she thought, and could not help laughing. His voice was pleasant, engaging. He spoke for a long time, frequently making the audience laugh. Vasya laughed, too. He was a smart fellow, after all, the anarchist. Vasya applauded. When he returned to the speaker's table, he accidentally bumped against Vasya. When he turned to apologize, Vasya blushed. And, embarrassed at blushing, she colored even more. It was annoying. But the anarchist didn't notice. He sat down, leaned back carelessly in his chair, and smoked a cigarette. The chairman turned to him, pointed to the cigarette. We're not accustomed to smoking here. Shrugging his shoulders, Vladimir continued to smoke. I want to smoke, and I will. Your rules don't apply to me. He took a few more puffs, and, seeing the chairman was busy with something else, threw the cigarette away. Vasya had forgotten none of this. Later, she teased Vladimir about it, but at that time he hadn't noticed her. He became aware of her only after she began to speak. She spoke very well that evening, and though he was behind her, she felt the American's eyes on her the whole time. She deliberately lauded the Bolsheviki as opposed to the Mensheviki, the social revolutionaries, and the anarchists, although she didn't even know then what the anarchists were. She wanted to strike the American. He had acted too much like a gentleman. Vasya remembered how her hair had come undone as she spoke. At the time, she had beautiful long hair, which was braided and wound around her head. She was speaking with all her heart, passionately, and the pins fell out of her hair. 
It was unpleasant. Her hair was in her way. She tossed it back. She didn't know that her hair had cast a spell over Vladimir. I didn't see you while you were speaking, but when your hair fell over your shoulders, I saw clearly that you were no orator, but Vasya, my tomboy, a woman, and such a funny one. She was embarrassed but held her ground. She waved her arms, and she abused the anarchists. Then her hair came undone. Curly little snakes were coiled on the back like gold threads. Then, Vasyuk, I realized that I would have to know you. Vladimir told her that later, after they had fallen in love. But she didn't know it at the meeting. After her speech was finished, she began to braid her hair again. Yurochkin picked up the hairpins for her. Thank you, comrade. It was very embarrassing. Everyone was staring at her. She was afraid to look at the American. Had he surely noticed and had his own opinion of her? Something or other annoyed her. She was angry at the American. But why did she bother about him? The meeting was over. Everybody was going away. The American stood before her. May I introduce myself? He told her his name and explained who he was. He pressed her hand, praised her speech, and again, Vasya flushed. They began to talk, to argue, for she was a Bolshevik, he in favor of the anarchists. Going with the crowd, they reached the street. It was rainy and windy that night. A cab belonging to the party was waiting. The American suggested that he take Vasya home. She agreed, and they climbed into the cab. It was dark in there, and the cab was narrow. They sat close together. The horse whinnied and splashed in the mud puddles with its hoofs. Vasilisa and Vladimir stopped disputing, sat there quiet and silent, both grave and yet happy. They talked about trifles, about the rain, about the meeting that would take place the next day in the soap works, about the assembly at party headquarters, but their hearts were full of gladness. They were at Vasya's house and bid each other good night. Both were sorry that they had to part so soon, but neither said so. Are you sure your feet didn't get wet? Vladimir asked anxiously. My feet? Vasya was amazed, but happy about something. For the first time in her life, someone had thought of her, had been concerned about her, and Vasya laughed, her regular white teeth shining. Vladimir would have liked to take her into his arms, to kiss those moist, white, regular teeth. The door opened. The watchman let Vasya into the house. Goodbye until tomorrow. At headquarters, don't forget. The meeting opens at two sharp. We do things in the American way. Vladimir raised his soft hat and took his leave with a profound bow. Vasya turned to the doorway as if she were expecting something more. The door banged. Vasya was alone in the courtyard, and suddenly the happy mood was gone. Her heart was uneasy, sick with longing. Something grieved her. Something hurt her. She seemed so small to herself, suddenly so useless. So that's the end of chapter two of Red Love. I think this is an important moment in the book, obviously, because it's a flashback looking at when Vasilisa and Volodya meet for the first time in the pre-revolutionary period when he's still an anarchist and has come from the United States. 
but he's sort of dressed as a as a bourgeois gentleman, and she doesn't doesn't like that at first. But obviously, there's a lot of initial attraction between the two of them, kind of a love at first sight situation. Even though they both decide together to put their work in front of their love, which is of course something that Colin and I would be in favor of. That the work and your love for the collective is more important than your romantic love. So I'll go ahead and continue with chapter three in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And as always, stay safe and healthy and keep up the good fight.